Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Jijong, a culture writer and critic. And this week we are bringing you a holiday special. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for sending in your suggestions, including the, like we said, the good, the cheesy, the bad holiday movies. So I'll include the, the full list of all of your suggestions in our show notes later. But we ended up picking Love Actually, the classic, and Carol, another classic, um, to talk about this week. I've... I've watched the most Christmas movies that I've ever watched this week in my entire life. The suggestions did not go unnoticed. Please do not take it personally if I did not pick the film that you picked. I'm just all about this gay shit. So that's why I went with Carol. Yeah. Um, But I hope you enjoy it anyway. Um, And just a note, this is going to be our last show before our end of year special coming to you on the 29th. Um, So we're going to take next week off, but we'll be back before the end of the year to celebrate our favorites of the year. How was your week, Jenny? How how have you been this week? Um, Same as always. Literally can't remember anything that happened this week except eat, sleep, work, watch, screen all the time. So what about you? Same. Uh, There was a great tweet this week where it was the, the laptop is the work screen, the phone is the distraction screen, and the TV screen is the reward screen. Oh. And that's basically been 2020 for me. So yeah, that's also that's also been my week. I did see something about some Disney news, but I don't care. Oh my god! At this point, that's just I'm just like too much, too much. So t- tell me about Love Actually, Jenny. Let's talk about it, man. Let's get into it. Yeah. Um. So Love Actually, I had never watched in its entirety before. So I, I know I was wow. missing out on a lot. Just all these pop culture references that I barely understood or did not understand. Um. Now I finally will be able to make noises of agreement when people bring this up. Wow. You really are a diamond in the rough, eh? <laughs> Yeah, this film, it's honestly, when someone said Christmas movie, I'd always be like, yeah, I don't really like Christmas Christmas movies, but Love Actually is is probably my favorite. Oh, wow. Uh, this this okay. was it when I was like growing up, you know, yeah. like as a teen. Uh, much has changed. <laughs> okay, well, we'll get back to that question later. Um, but yes, yes, yes. Catching anyone up, like anyone else who has, I guess, just like had this huge culture, like blind spot for the last 17 years, like me. Um, Love Actually, it is Richard Curtis's infamous, I would say, 2003 rom-com. Um, yeah, now, now it is. Yeah, starring an ensemble cast, following kind of like nine different, very loosely connected storylines that are all somewhat about some aspect of love. Um, and it is like, I guess, kind of controversially considered a cult favorite, like modern day Christmas classic. Yeah, I'll I'll just say like, as I was watching this... My, like, first thought, like, first and foremost was, like, this movie is so long and so horny. And th- that's, like, my main takeaways. Well, so, in terms of holiday movies, for the most part, they're about someone's existential question that they're having about their life. They're about their relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, I-, I feel like 70 to 80% of them are basically rom-coms set in Christmas. <laughs> yeah, very loosely. That's it. Like, what is the criteria oh, it is like before or on Christmas Day. But when you think more about, and this is kind of like an existential question for the genre and for this episode, like what makes a holiday movie? I think there is some sort of questioning of like your place in like where you are in life where you are in regards to your family and your friends and your loved ones in general. I guess this this is set around Christmas and it is about love 
in a way. So I guess those both are like tick tick Christmas movie. Uh, uh, broadly human connection. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um. Also, all like I I guess like straight couples. There was one. I know there was one lesbian couple. Their storyline got cut from the the final um like edit. So it's oh. a very like it's a very white sort of like very heteronormative very like early early aughts kind of movie um for sure yeah like watching it in 2020 versus you know back when it came out i'm sure there are just so many like cringe moments which of course like things in the past like i don't know we shouldn't throw away the entire canon because they were cringe but or whatever but i mean just the amount of like like not not just one but like three older boss slash like young female subordinate kind of relationships i was like damn, this is like the male horny fantasy in like the middle-aged yeah. male kind of thing. Saying all of that, what did you actually think of it? Like, did you actually <laughs> enjoy it? Like, I know that you said it was long long and horny. I agree, it is very long. I think my most recent rewatch of this film was about four years ago, I'm going to mm-hmm. say. And I remember being like, I forgot that. Because ha- the thing about this film is like, in five years from now, you're going to be like, I remember scenes. I don't remember how one led to the other. Yeah. That's kind of like, it's like a fragmentation of, of, plots that are kind of sharded together i guess yeah very Um, very loosely like i do remember it being really long i mean i guess as a holiday movie that's a great time killer which is kind of what you need if you're watching this right you know at home with family yeah i okay besides it being like long and horny which again that's my main (laughs) takeaway um It was, like, kind of entertaining. Like, I could see how it could be, like, an annual tradition of, you know, you you watch it because you love it or you watch it because you love to hate it. And so it was, like entertaining it well so much happens yeah too. it's stuffed with stuff none yeah. of it like extremely profound or really stimulating but it's yeah i wouldn't watch it again i don't think but i'm glad i caught up to this cultural phenomenon which is that's the the that's the value of this just being able to be entered into this like sort of universal cross-cultural global phenomenon and this entire like cottage industry of just like opinions and takes and essays and everything about this so i'm glad for that the i think the strongest thing about love actually is that it's got something for basically everybody almost i guess if they kind of included that gay storyline into it Mm -hmm. it truly would have had something for everybody but everyone has a favorite storyline yeah what's what's yours oh um probably emma oh emma thompson emma yeah i like laura linney's Oh. I, and like I do, I know that it's problematic, but <laughs> I don't know. I really related to that storyline when I was younger, just because I am an older sister and my younger brother is also developmentally disabled. Mm-hmm. So to me, that was like, oh, that could be me one day, and like you know, may- maybe that's what my life is gonna look like. And it made me a little bit sad, even though like obviously now I know that that is. really extreme in terms of using that as a plot point to kind of raise the stakes for her and her love life um i i think emma thompson's is probably now my favorite because it's the most realistic out of all of them as like a woman that is cheated on and um is very earnest in her hurt and it's not like i don't know it's so well acted like emma thompson just brings quality to whatever the whatever kind of shit show she walks into like the second she starts acting like it just raises the bar for the entire film so I yeah th- i think that i think those two are probably my favorites yeah what about you i agree with like the emma thompson storyline so essentially her husband played by alec alan rickman he you know starts flirting back with his assistant or secretary at work who's this beautiful young woman very like 
aggressive, romantically aggressive young woman. And he, like, buys her jewelry and stuff. Yeah. Emma Thompson finds out. Yeah. And then, you know, she has this really great line where she was like, You've made a fool out of me. Yeah, you made a fool out of me. And you're like, should I stay with you and have my life be, like, definitely worse, like, just by staying with you? But I thought, you know, the thing is that it's hard not to notice that, like... uh, most of these storylines are actually like sort of male led or they're like kind of yeah. more from the perspective of the men. And there's two storylines that are kind of more led by the the women, which are the Laura Linney storyline and the Emma Thompson storyline. Both of them are kind of depressing. Maybe you could yeah. say they're they're more realistic. But like, you know, Laura Linney, her character, in the end, it's like she just does not get to have her one night stand or her or a boyfriend or anything like that. And then like the Emma Thompson one... There's no real sort of resolution or you never really find out like, does she stay? Do they stay together? Do they end up splitting? It's very ambiguous. So yeah, it's hard not to notice this sort of like who gets the happy ending, quote unquote happy ending. But those are probably the more human ones of this bunch, a little bit more fleshed out. Yeah. And the thing is like, I think the Colin Firth one is probably my, one of my least favorites. It's like down there with the Kira Knightley storyline as, as one of the worst. And yeah. What do you mean? You don't speak the language of this woman. You decide you love her. Like, yeah, they literally have zero conversations. Like they cannot, they cannot communicate with each other. They cannot communicate with each other. It is not romantic. It's actually kind of sad for both of these people. And with the Kira Knightley one, like what? you fucking weirdo you were in love with your best friend's wife who's also 17 by the way (laughs) yeah she was 17 or 18 when this movie was filmed and came out and and also like this is in this one the characters are like very sparse like they're just not fleshed out at all no um so it's like okay why do you love Kira Knightley like what is it about her since you apparently don't speak to each other at all and you ignore her every time you're together yeah and then like at the end Kira Knightley's character you know, you get this confession from your husband's best friend and instead of being like, excuse me. Uh, yeah, God. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You, she, she kisses him and returns inside to her husband who's completely unaware of anything that's gone on. You know, Brits, even though we are some of the most miserable people in the entire world and we're actually really funny and we're funny because we are miserable, um, <laughs> we are also a bunch of softies who do want to believe in this weird reality where we're all friends and we all get along so the bake-off like the bake-off fantasy like the bake-off yeah exactly and love actually is like a perfect example of that that weird in between of british culture where we are all a depressing bunch and we're all we're all really dry-witted but also we really want a happy ending with a person that doesn't speak english i guess (laughs) (laughs) with your with your portuguese maid um but yeah i like i like the, what you pointed out and it reminds me of um i was reading some reviews from the time of love actually and you know ao scott for the for the new york times and his review he sort of identified identified and pinpointed this and said like the problem is that the movie more than any of the characters in it is a mess of cross signals swerving between cynicism and sincerity without quite knowing the difference between them so i think that kind of nails like so what true. you're talking about that that tonal sort of mismatch yeah Shout out to A.O. Scott, man. Like, fucking timeless. The fact that he saw that shit. Yeah. The year that it was out. Like, that's why he's a critic, bro. Like, <laughs> real no pro. one can touch you. Yeah, real, real pro. What else? What What was some of the other stuff that was being said around the time? Well, there... well like, I guess now. Now. What's been said about it now? Yeah. I mean, like I said, there. it really gave birth to a lot of just, like, this evergreen well of content. I mean, A.O. Scott's, his review, I think, is just, like, really... 
fantastic. He really identifies all the problems in a really sharp and succinct way. And the Atlantic had a good review of it also by Christopher Orr. Um, he also did like a 10 year look back at his review and he was like, yeah, you know, I stand by it. This film still fucking sucks. And then of course there are all these sort of like counter arguments where it's like, well, actually love actually is good. Actually. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And people argue that it's like, you know, on the contrary, it is very romantic and, you know, it is, it is like great for holiday cheer and all this stuff. And I think, I don't know. I, of course I'm like siding on the side of like, this is not a, it's not a, it's not a good film, but it is a timelessly entertaining, just like keep it out on the TV background um, kind of film, which so many of these things turn out to be. So many. And that that's the issue is holiday movies in general, like, I'm sorry to sound controversial, are not good. They're not meant to be good. They're not meant to be really critically acclaimed, anything that, I don't know, ruffles the feathers of critics at all. Like, the fact that this got written up in 2003 is, I guess, testament to A, the cast, B, the director, C, probably the, the popularity around it. Mm-hmm. But it's fine that it sucks, you know? Like... The fact that it is something that people can talk about, that the fact that it is, it has such a cast of characters. So many famous people are in this, especially yeah. for for Brits. Like, it's got basically everyone under the fucking sun. <laughs> this is your cream of the crop. Yeah, it's just like missing Kenneth Branagh. Like, we just <laughs> we just needed to throw him in there. If I don't know, maybe he's already in there. Who fucking knows? I've forgotten. Um, but because it is such a you know get together, and because it does capture all these like different types of straight male existence i guess it just makes it so much more interesting you know what i actually in my top three out of all of them the the one about the guy going to america and getting all this pussy because he's got (laughs) a british accent is probably up there in terms of my favorite because that leans really heavily into the sort of like that it no yeah and in fact it's satire knows yeah Yeah. it knows what it's doing which i think was really funny shout out to uh january jones who was in the 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 american storyline and fucking way i had no idea She's one of the girls in the bar. Yeah, she's one of the girls. I guess this oh is, this my is God. pre-Mad Men. And you know what? Holy she's hot as hell. Shit. She's been hot. Leave January Jones alone, first of all. Like, if she wants to be weird on Instagram, let yeah, her do that. Let her post Sorry her for the tangent, but I just wanted to say, like, she's such a blessing <laughs> on Instagram. Um, for anyone that hasn't watched it in a long time, I would re-watch it just to see it through your eyes right now. <laughs> and also to uncover some eggs because it is there are some eggs to uncover yeah Uh, you you really do see new things every time you watch it um like january jones yeah um are you gonna rewatch it this year palin no No. i watched it four years ago that's fine i'm good for another five years cool so that is love actually i cannot sincerely recommend it for the content itself but i will recommend it so you have this whole door open to all the other content surrounding it So now your turn, Palin. Tell me about Carol. So I know that I said previously that holiday movies don't have to be critically acclaimed, but surprise, this is a really critically acclaimed holiday they movie. They can be, yeah. So they can, they can be if you just change your idea of what a holiday movie is. Again, open your third eye. Anything is possible. So Carol is a movie by Todd Haynes, one of my favorite directors. He is basically 
what you would call the king of new queer cinema, which was a movement that started around like the 1990s. And it is based on the 1952 novel, The Price of Salt, which it changed its name to Carol in 1990, Mm. uh, which was written by Patricia Highsmith. It's kind of like a semi-autobiographical novel by her. She actually wrote it under a pseudonym Mm. uh, at the time that she wrote it. She eventually changed her name back the the script is written by phyllis Nagy, who's a british playwright i think this is the only film that she's ever written for mm. she's only ever written and gotten a lot of accolades for theater productions okay. so just to kind of give you a, a rundown of of what it's about it is a, a film about two women so one is an older housewife and the other one is a younger shop girl wannabe photographer uh, so carol the namesake is played by kate blanchett she's a housewife and then Therese is played by Rooney Mara, who she she's kind of like the like, I'm gonna say early twenties. Yeah, um, shop girl. I would estimate yeah. like Rooney Mara's character maybe early twenties. Carol maybe forty at most. I would yeah, I would say pushing forty. Um, and then like it's also excellently cast with with the supporting actor. So you got Sarah Paulson as um, Carol's best friend, ex lover. Uh, Jake Chandler plays the soon to be ex husband of Carol. Uh, Jake Lacey is the boyfriend. <laughs> He's always the boyfriend always the same guy. Um, Jake Lacey is the boyfriend of Therese, and John Magaro is the gonna say the friend slash the person that hooks her up with the times job oh yeah i love that detail new york times job yeah it's so evergreen (laughs) i'm gonna scream i was like when when therese is like i need to get my portfolio together and start applying to jobs i was like fuck (laughs) this she could have said that yesterday jesus so yeah so this this film i included it as a holiday movie because it is set in christmas time so it's leading up to christmas up until new year's eve for the most part the reason why this was my holiday pick so for me holidays are pretty melancholy i don't know about you but i get really in my feelings about it so melancholy is is actually the i'm gonna say the top two emotion that i feel in the holiday season and this (laughs) is a very melancholy Yeah, I think I agree with that. Christmas is like this huge, just like cultural force, you know, excluding the sort of religious aspect of it, um, just like purely Mm. commercially and culturally, it cannot really be ignored for anyone who is, you know, you're not Christian, you don't really celebrate Christmas, you still feel the force of it around you. And like for, Mm. for me as well, you know, growing up in the US with you know, parents who are not from the US and, you know, really have no concept of what Christmas is and like the holiday season and stuff. It was something like I really wanted to love as a child. And I was like, please, let's get a Christmas tree. Please, let's like do gingerbread shit. Please, like, let's set out um, these lights and whatever. But it was, it never quite like gelled together. And I always, I do associate it with the feeling of like not fitting in and not knowing like how to talk about these different, you know, relics and traditions. So I think melancholy is like, it's like the flip side of the sort of love actually or like coziness or like togetherness um, of holiday, other holiday films and holiday feelings. And more than anything, like I personally do not enjoy reflecting back on my year. It sends me into a spiral. It's always depressing, isn't and it? And I go through it every year. Yeah, every year. Every year I'm spiraling. Like between Christmas and especially like New Year's Eve. Are you fucking kidding me? Don't even get me yeah. started on, on that night. Um, slash going into yeah i look forward to doing that practice again this year just like thinking back my year thinking back where i want to go next year and then be like fuck i'm gonna jump off a cliff yeah don't talk to me until you've slept through several (laughs) new year's eves don't come to me about any of that three two one bullshit like i'm not here for it 
But yeah, I, the the reason why this ties in with Carol is because, like, tonally, Carol is actually not just a melancholy film, but it really does talk about a point in two women's lives where something is ending and I guess something is beginning, which is, again, like a holiday season thing of, like, you know, you're leaving the old year and you're starting a new one. But I think my favorite thing about this film is, of course, it's a queer film. It's about two women that end up falling in love. Mm-hmm. And it's set in a holiday season, which I know is very fraught for a lot of queer people Mm -hmm. throughout time. But more than anything, it's about kind of finding that person that you become enamored with in a certain time, in a very short period of time, especially, which can happen on on any given holiday, whether it's Christmas, whether it's summer. Like when I was watching it, I was thinking a lot about Call Me By Your Name, Mm -hmm. which is basically the the summer equivalent of this in a way, because it's about... A younger person finding an older person, completely falling head over heels, discovering their queerness through that other person, and then figuring out where to go once that film ends, like, for themselves. Yeah, I love that comparison. And the two films match so well in just, like, that, you know, the tidal wave, that that force wash over you, and then after the wave breaks, it's like, what, you know, where do you go from here? What are you left with after the water recedes? And Yeah, I think, especially with regards to loneliness, like, you know, it's melancholy because the holiday season can be really lonely and neither one of these two people are lonely per se like they have their respective boyfriend or their husband that's trying not to divorce them (laughs) and they have like a kid yeah Um, they have like social circles they're like you know perfectly socially competent exactly and they have like prospects really they still feel lonely and they they seek out like ending that loneliness in each other yeah it's just this one moment of of connection which happens serendipitously like at an apartment department store yeah. And obviously the way that it it looks, that accounts for 50% of why I think there's such a perfect holiday movie because it really captures the beauty of that dreariness of New York City in in wintertime, mm-hmm. honestly, with like the condensation on the car window yeah. and the glow of the lights of the the shops and the street lights. And I guess like the way that the lights in the 1950s like the greenness of it, you know, it's really green actually and it reminds me of, I mean if you like one car boy like it reminds me a lot Mm. of that but they shot this on film which i think accounted for some of that and then the inspiration for the look of it is actually a bunch of new york photographers of that time so it's like vivian meyer Mm. saul lita like these are iconic 1950 like they kind of like showed new york in in its frankness without the shine oh no wonder that makes a lot of sense and yeah you know the entire aesthetic of the cold the snow the condensation the the sort of like cool tones but then these pockets of warmth like a a die over a diner table or you know in someone's cozy living room with their piano and their their christmas tree and the lights and everything it's it's fascinating how even something set in 1952 makes you think of that city that you've known and that that romanticism of it honestly like there is something romantic about that it's not necessarily the romance that you immediately jump to when you think of a holiday movie like whether it's the super bright super kind of filtered idea of it this is real romance and you see the real romance in the plot too because it doesn't really work out and life gets in the way and these women have to just kind of deal with it and they have to kind of separate themselves from one another and figure out what it is that they want for themselves and if you know eventually maybe there's an instance where they fit into each other again 
and you know if you watch the film you you'll see how that kind of is suggested at the very end but the frankness of that the frankness of the melancholy the frankness of the fact that life gets in the way even in the most I guess romantic time of the year is why I cherish this movie so much as a holiday film and it's why I think it's probably my favorite um of all time yeah Um, I I really appreciate the the taint of realism that you know the whole film has like like you said that it's not a it's not a perfect happy ending it's not a gloss over happy ending but nor is it like this sort of tragic um like melodramatic sort of ending that I think a lot of you know films starring queer characters from that time period maybe filmmakers would, would have been tempted to to give them that sort of tragedy it, it's somewhere in between which is that that's how life works out most of the time like this yeah there's a line in uh, Carol writes a letter to Therese and she says something along the lines of like, I know you don't want to hear this, but because you're young, you want resolutions and answers. And that's, again, of course, like I nod so fervently <laughs> every time I hear that line because it's true. Like when you're younger, you just want the black and white and life is all just gray. Yeah. And even even when you want the best for the other person, even when you want to run away and live in this fantasy, the fantasy does catch up to you. One of my favorite things about this film, actually, when I was reading about the production of it, which, by the way, was a very long and lengthy production. It took a very long time for this film to get made because of an array of reasons but once finally uh phyllis and todd linked up to make the film they both agreed that neither one of the characters should apologize for being gay and that they shouldn't you know have like a break there shouldn't be a breakdown scene where they feel guilt or where Mm. they feel like they're doing something wrong for being gay and that is honestly especially given the time period it's so refreshing to watch that happen like neither one of them holds shame it's the fact that the rest of the world should be the ones that should be ashamed of themselves and that's just like it's communicated perfectly with such like oh with such a delicate hand which is like classic Todd Haynes just strip back and bare bones but you just kind of take from that poetry what you will it's just it's just a perfect film man like (laughs) It makes me so sad, but it makes me sad in the ways that feel cathartic, which I think is, you know, for for, if you watch this at the end of the year, it's just um, it's nice to feel that catharsis. And like you'll, you know, you'll survive. You'll keep going, um, essentially, which is what both of these women do. And all things considered in the film, like there there are resolutions that are had. Um, They obviously might not be the most uh, easy resolutions, but they're certainly not patronizing whatsoever which i think is like the case for a lot of holiday movie happy endings where it feels like once something is done then that's the end of it like the the whole beef with the happiest season film that came out which is like the most recent i guess if we're talking about lesbian holiday movies like (laughs) let's get into it the reason why like a lot of people really didn't like that was because it missed the point of the problem of that relationship and these two people are not really a good fit for each other and maybe it would have been better if they if one of them hooked up with Aubrey Aubrey Plaza yeah whereas like with with obviously with Carol completely obviously completely different kind of film don't get me wrong I get that but it's the fact that the resolution comes for these two women in their own way which is just it's adult you know like it's just like Carol is a holiday movie for grown-ups that want to that want to see the world for all of its multitudes yeah which I really appreciate yeah so Carol, yeah. wonderful film, wonderful holiday film, wonderful film, and it is seriously. Um, it's available. It's streaming on Netflix if you want to watch it this holiday season. So this week, instead of culture notes, um, we're going to play a game going along with our theme of holiday special. 
Oh my god. <laughs> so Go easy on me. Yeah, so I made up a, a very brief game, um, sort of like a multiple choice quizlet. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a description of a holiday rom-com and I'll give you four multiple choice options for what the film's title is. Um, and most of my descriptions are kind of like copped straight from Wikipedia. So, I mean, I really haven't watched any of these films. So let's see how well you do, Pellen. Okay. So I'll start with the first one. This film stars Kate Winslet and Cameron Diaz as two lovelorn women from opposite sides of the Atlantic who arrange a home exchange to escape heartbreak during the Christmas holiday season. Mm. So your options for this, what is the film's title? A, Transatlantic Holiday. B, The Holiday. C, The Holiday Swap. Or D, The Christmas Swap. So I've actually seen this, and it's the holiday. Okay, so you've seen this movie already. <laughs> I have seen it. I have seen this movie. Yes, I want both houses. That's my take. That's my only takeaway. Okay, should I watch this? Should I watch this movie? Yeah, this is definitely like it knows what it is. Like, okay. So, and Jack Black is a fucking pleasure in it. So yeah, absolutely, go for it. Yeah, Jack Black, and I think Jude Law is the other dude in this. Okay, yes. maybe maybe I'll add it to the list. Okay, okay. so you got the first one right. <laughs> um, nice, 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 nice. Okay, the next one. So this movie follows the holiday misadventures of a family in New England. The oldest son brings home his uptight girlfriend, and he intends to propose to her with a cherished heirloom ring. But she is met by a hostile reception and begs her sister to join her for emotional support, triggering further complications. What? Okay, okay, I'll give you the options. A, the family Jones. B, the family Brooks. C, the family stone. D, the family wood. The family stone? Yes. Have you watched this? Oh, shit. No, no. No idea. Uh, okay. No. <laughs> nice. So you're two for two so far. Um, The next film, a train token collector played by Sandra Bullock. Um, she develops a crush on a regular commuter and saves him from being hit by a train and then lies and pretends to be his fiance when he falls into a coma. Oh, my fucking God. I hate 90s <laughs> early aughts films. Yeah, this is from the 90s. So, A, A Christmas Miracle, B, When Memory Fails, C, Ticket to Love, D, While You Are Sleeping. A Christmas Miracle? I'm so sorry. This is your, this is wrong. (laughs) Thank fuck. Okay, good. I was going to say, I would be telling myself if I actually got that right. What is it? It is While You Are Sleeping. That's really ominous yeah i'm the title. i'm kind of proud of myself for these these terrible yeah, titles great. that that i made up ticket to love is actually what it should have been <laughs> yes Just going to love the train know. theme have you thought about a career in in thinking up of movie titles because oh get i love it. that lifetime hallmark call me i'm available listen like copywriter of your <laughs> dream she's right here okay so you've not watched this film okay. clearly no hell no okay. I don't think I'll ever watch that it. That is probably a fair assessment. Sorry, Sandra Bullock. Sorry, Sandra Bullock. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next one. I did not write a description. All I have is a sequel to The Princess Switch. Did you Have you okay. watched The Princess Switch? No. Okay, it's a Netflix film. What is it's it? It's a Netflix oh. film. It's like one of the things where... Is it Vanessa yeah, Hudgens? Yeah, it's Vanessa Hudgens. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. They did another one? They did another one out this year. Um, I think it came oh, out in, in November recently. I hate the way Netflix is trying to come for Hallmark's neck. Oh, they're really trying hard. It. They're really trying. They need to stop. <laughs> Relax. Like, stop whoring yourself. And everyone's going to watch it Netflix. just because it's Netflix. Okay, so Princess Switch, you have not watched it, but 
Now, guess the title for this sequel. So, okay. your choices. A, The Princess Switch, colon, Two Princes, Two Switched. B, <laughs> The Princess Switch, Switched and Back Again. Oh, hell yeah. C, The Princess Switch, Switched Again. D, The Princess Switch, One Too Many Princesses. I'm going to go with C, The Princess Switch, Switched Again. Okay, you're right. <laughs> yes. Yes! I think I was. I got a little bit too obvious with some of these ones. I just, no, not even. Like, they could have been any of them, <laughs> to be honest. Because the premise is fucking stupid. Like, yeah, so in the first one, there were two oh Vanessa God. Hudgens. And in the right. second one, there are three Vanessa Hudgens, if you can believe it. I can't wait to never watch this film. <laughs> you got a three out of four, which is, like, passing. And that's almost, like, f- like full marks. So I think you did a really good job on this. As, as my mother would say 20 years ago, it's not good enough. <laughs> I should have gotten them all right. So cool. great. That has been our holiday special. Thank you so much for listening. Um, yeah. Reminder that we are off next week, but we'll be back on the 29th with a year end special. So stay tuned for that. Um, tell us, uh, please tell us your favorite films and TV shows of the year. Yeah, um, please. Just to kind of get involved. We'd love to hear what it is that really tickled your fancy this year. Yeah, and we might, like, we'll still have, like, a week or two to kind of, like, catch up on things. I know there are definitely things I want to watch that I haven't gotten around to this year yet, so definitely send us your ex. For sure. Even if it doesn't make our top fives or our top tens, we'll have honorable mentions. So let us know. So thank you again. Yeah, send send any Rex you want or feedback, um, praise, just hellos to criticismisdead at gmail.com. Or you can just uh, DM us or, or add us at uh, criticismisdead on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also subscribe to our Substack, criticismisdead.substack.com for extended show notes, bonus links, whatever. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars as an end of, you know, as a holiday present. That would be lovely. Yeah, a little gift. Um, and yeah, and, you know, tell a friend as, as also a free Christmas present to them. Spread the cheer. Uh, for the following year. Spread the cheer yeah. this year. We'll see you in two weeks. Yeah, see you in two weeks. Have a great uh, holidays, like, in the meantime, if you celebrate. If, if not, just, a Happy, like, happy holidays. Yeah, man. Keep making those latkes. Keep fucking... Get that eggnog going. Fuck it up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks. See y'all later. Bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Lu and Jenny Ji Jung. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Lu.